I feel super emotional. Jackie must have rubbed her emotional essence on the podium. So it's been a week, you guys. Um, For those of you who know, Brielle had mouth surgery, my littlest one. She's 10, and she had to have 10 teeth removed. Kevin talked about that last night. And it's just just not going as smoothly as I would like it to go. She's like, I really want to go to school. Yesterday, I said, but do you really? I really want to go to school. She's like, she can't move her mouth. (laughs) She said, but there's art. (laughs) I said, I said, okay, you can go to school. And now she's so sore. So anyway, so it's been a week of taking care of my little post-operative child. But, and then having to study for this very long chapter (laughs) of Romans. And can we talk about the names? And in my mind, I'm pronouncing them all correctly. We'll see what my mouth does. Um, (laughs) And 37 names. I counted, so let's get started. Romans is an epistle, a letter of Paul, of course we know, and it is full of big doctrines. Um, It's the doctrines of sin and judgment, um, our inability to save ourselves, Jesus, faith alone saves, there's sanctification and justification, the struggle of flesh, how to live in the spirit, Legalism, the sovereignty of God, and I'm certain there's more. (laughs) Doug called Romans the ology book, and ology means to study. And here's just just a couple of what he listed, and I'm not going to lie, I didn't go back and re-listen to everything, but um, he listed a huge list, but I have three. The homardiology which is the study of sin, Christiology, the study of Christ, and soteriology, the study of salvation. And that is just like three of the ologies in this book. Um, Most famously, I think, about uh, Romans is the Romans Road, which is a useful tool, of course, to share the gospel with other people. In Romans 3.23 and 3.10, it tells us the problem that we have with sin. And first, or chapter 1, verse 20 tells us that we have no excuse for our sin. Romans 5, 12, and 6, 23 informs us of the consequences of sin. Romans 5, 8 reveals that there's a solution to sin and death. Romans 10, 9 and 10 shows us what to do with that solution. And verse 13 tells us how we can be assured that we are saved, <clears throat> that, we are, that we are rescued from that sin and the death that comes with it. After recognizing our problem and addressing it, the book of Romans tells us many, many things about God and his sovereignty. (laughs) Basically says, get over yourself. (laughs) You're not me. Um, But that this message is for all people and it's not just for Jews and it's not just for Gentiles, but it is for the whole world. which is beautiful because that's what the promise to Abraham was about. Paul gives direction on how the Christian life should be lived. Um, This year, uh, we have delved deep. We have dived in to difficult topics such as what is our place in light of God's sovereignty? 
our righteousness or right standing before God comes by faith alone. We didn't earn it. We can't do anything to get it. We heard that we have, um, we have heard that our minds need to conform to God's standard and that our faith should change how we think and act. Faith in God ought to give us a right perspective on ourselves and on other people. In Romans this year, we have had to wrestle with what it means to obey governing authorities, which is no light subject in the times that we live in, Um, and judging others. It's very real. We have to wrestle with these things probably every day. I mean, just driving over here, I was judging. (laughs) (laughs) So what does legalism mean? Um, And how does it trip us up? We've had to discuss that this year. And how do we best show love to one another? So this past session that we just went through at the end of this book, we've heard from Janet, Angela, and Jackie about what it means to be in unity with each other and invested in relationship with, many, uh, with other believers. We walk together in obedience to God's calling on us and the fellowship we have with, in prayer um, for one another. So... That was a very fast overview of the book of ologies. <laughs> Chapter 16 is Paul's closing of this letter. When I read it, it kind of made me, it made me laugh because I feel like Paul doesn't really want to end this letter. It has a feeling of like talking on the phone to a new boyfriend is like, you say goodbye now, you say goodbye. He's, like it felt like that to me and he's like he's like say hey give so and so my love tell that guy hey you know <laughs> you know and and he's like oh but wait there's one more thing oh and then so and so says hi back to you and you know that's kind of it's like I felt like I was standing at the door of Paul and trying to say goodbye and he's like not wanting to do that so um and so I was able to look at it like that it made me laugh because it feels kind of disjointed, this letter, a little bit. But I think it's just this great affection he has for the believers that are in in his life. And he just wants to make sure that he lets them know how much he loves them. So, let's begin. Romans 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, I got that one, who is a servant of the church, which is at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you, for she herself has been a helper of many and myself as well. Now, Phoebe is called a servant of the church, and Paul says that her service has benefited him personally, and this service is a godly attribute. Jesus told the disciples, Um, what he thought about those who serve. Service is very important in the economy of God. Mark 9, 34 and 35 says, um, but they had kept silent. (laughs) So the disciples and Jesus are, I just, I don't want to read the whole passage. They're walking somewhere. James and John's mom is like, hey, can my sons be like, sit on your left and right side? And now they're keeping silent for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last and servant of all. And in Matthew 20, 25 through 28, Jesus 
um, it says, Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve. Um, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So John, James and John, they're looking for lofty positions, only to be told that God requires his followers to be a servant or a slave to all. And I, I think that's kind of a letdown. God is full of paradoxes. I, I like the paradoxes of God. They make me smile somehow. But it's worldly thinking that says that authority must be wielded and handled and lorded over those who are weaker. But Jesus said leaders serve, not just in um, words, but in action. <clears throat> Phoebe is um, also called a servant. So I think it was the word for deacon or like a deaconess. So she's known through the church as a server. And there are people, I think, right off the top of my head who would um, be called the same. I think of Jackie Senna, amazing servant of the Lord. Paul outside the front door, he's a servant of the Lord. It's a good reputation to have. Verses 3 through 5 says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, who is Priscilla uh, from Acts, uh, my fellow workers in Jesus Christ, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles, also greet the church that is in their house. So Priscilla and Aquila met Paul in Corinth. Their story is told in Acts 18, if you want to know more. Um, they were originally from Rome, but when Claudius kicked out all of the Jews out, um, they left Rome and went to Corinth. They were also tent makers, and that's where Paul met them, was in, was in Corinth. Uh, and so he stayed with them, and he worked with them for quite a while, it looks like, uh, at least a year and a half, I think. Uh, and Paul faced much conflict while he was there in Corinth, and his life was threatened. Uh, but we see here that they're back in Rome, and they're hosting a house church, they're continuing on in the work of the ministry, no matter where the Lord has led them. And that's great faithfulness there. No matter the hardship they had, they served the Lord. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Here's more names. Verse 5b, the end of that 5. Greet Epinetus. My beloved, who is the first convert in, to Christ from Asia, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles and who were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved of Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristopolis. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. That's an unfortunate name, by the way. But <laughs> 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 greet, um, 
Tryphania and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, and also his mother and mine. <laughs> Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philogus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. <sighs> okay, funny aside, this is like totally not related, but it's funny. Brielle is reading um, ancient history, and she was asking me, <laughs> she was asking me all about Socrates. I'm like, Socrates? She's like, no, it says here Socrates. Socrates. <laughs> <laughs> I feel her pain. <laughs> anyway, back to our text. Throughout this list, we see a number of women that Paul recognizes. Um, and he recognizes as, them as co-laborers in the work that furthers the gospel to the world. It's like not small. In that culture, of course, women were considered property, no rights, you know, barely human. You know, it just... For Paul to recognize women with the same, at the same level of importance as a man is not a small thing. Junius here is even called an apostle, and there's some question about what that really means. Uh, <laughs> Chuck Smith was saying, I don't know. I don't know that she was really an apostle, but, you know, who knows? I don't know. So I'm going to go with Chuck Smith. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so, but... I'm confident that the Lord will use anyone who's willing, regardless of their station in life, whether they're called an apostle or not. We, as women, can participate in any aspect of ministry. God has gifted women for the work of ministry just as extravagantly as any man. And there's no second-class citizens in God's economy. There's just not. <clears throat> and so I guess there's no excuse to ever sit back and not work and do the work of the gospel for God, for Jesus' namesake, for his reputation. Jeff Hoke said, We're, our job is to make God famous. So Romans 16, 16 says, greet one another with a holy kiss and all the churches of Christ greet you. A holy kiss. <laughs> When Kevin was getting ready to leave the army, there was a part of me that felt displaced. I was like not sure like where we were supposed to go. Because in the army, there's a sense of camaraderie. They're like, you're lockstep with each other. Your arms are linked. You have the same mission. You have the same purpose. You have the same function. That, it, <laughs> there's a mutual trust. The definition was a mutual trust and friendship among a group of people who spend a lot of time together with one purpose. That's camaraderie. <clears throat> Anyway, we knew that we would be on our own when he left the military. And that was disconcerting and it was disheartening a little bit um, and confusing and a little bit fearful. And we had many conversations like, should we stay in the army or get out? Well, clearly he got out. Um, and eventually, we were able to find that same feeling of belonging when we found a church to belong to. There's nothing better than being in a community of people who value the same things and seek to live their lives in the same way. 
when I was a nanny, I was a nanny a long time ago before I had kids. And the next door neighbors had also had a nanny. And she came over, and her name was Sarah. And I haven't seen her in probably 25 years. But there was an instant connection between us. We looked at each other. We discussed this. We looked at each other, and we knew that we were fellow believers. <laughs> we knew right away as soon as we, each other, we saw each other that we were family together. <clears throat> And it was, it was weird. I don't know if you've ever had that happen where you just are somewhere random and you're like, oh, oh, that's my sister over there. <laughs> I have no idea what her name is. <laughs> so Paul speaks of greeting each other with a holy kiss. And in this, age, in this time, that was the custom. And it actually still is a custom in the Middle East and in Europe to the, to the left, right, left kiss. You know, here we would say, hey, Give so-and-so a hug for me. You know, we hug each other. That's our feeling of affection for each other, that we are family together. I felt that so deeply this morning as I ran in late, you know, to say, I have to talk to the oral surgeon, blah, 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 but to be lifted up in prayer for me and my daughter. That was affection to me, excuse me, as family, my, my family had my back. My family are with me. They care about what I care about. And I think in this short little verse, Paul reveals the depth of feeling he has for those who work alongside him. You know, give each other a holy kiss. Love each other, encourage them. And Paul, in this list of people, has recognized their importance to him, and he is encouraging them to greet each other with the same affection that he has. Leon Morris uh, pointed out that the letter of Romans was written to ordinary people, not to scholars or theologians. All of these people on this list are just people. Most of them, outside the Bible, probably are lost to history. They're just ordinary. Charles Spurgeon said, they were like most of us, commonplace individuals, but they loved the Lord. And therefore, Paul recollected their names, and he sent them a message of love, which has become embalmed in the Holy Scriptures. Do not let us think of the distinguished Christians exclusively, so as to forget the rank and file of the Lord's army. Do not let the eye rest exclusively on the front rank, but let us all love Let us love all whom Christ loves, and let us value all Christ's servants. It is better to be God's dog than to be the devil's darlings. We all are the same. We all have the same position. We are all his favorite. This list shows that there's not just one person sharing in the gospel and the work of the Lord. There are lots of people. All of these people are united in the gospel. They have linked arms. And the Lord doesn't always work through just one man. Now, only work through just one man, but he works through many. The body of Christ is vast and each one has a purpose. No matter the culture or the background or the times that they live in, there's common ground in the gospel. All of those people 
with our, our family. Just as we're family, they're our family. We would recognize each other because of our love for Jesus. Now, Paul says, one more thing you guys don't, I don't want to forget to tell you. Verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrance, hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned, and turn away from them, for such men are slaves. <clears throat> I'm sorry. They're slaves to their own appetites. Not of our Lord Jesus, but of their own appetite. I lost my place. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent, um, and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, and the grace of our Lord Jesus will be with you. So, one last warning. One last piece of information before I go, guys. That's what he's saying. This church has a heart of obedience to Jesus. They have that reputation. And Paul wants them to be discerning as well. From the beginning, from the beginning of, <laughs> of Jesus, there have been those who would teach doctrines that go against what the, the apostles preached. They would, and even will, still teach that Jesus is not enough. That salvation or justification can be reached outside or achieved outside of faith in Jesus. It's Jesus and philosophy. <laughs> there are hills to die on in regard to faith. And sound doctrine is one of them. It isn't judgmental to call false teachers false and false doctrines poison. Yeah. <clears throat> 2 Peter 2, I wanted to read the entire thing, but it felt overwhelming, so I didn't. But I would encourage you to read the entire chapter of 2 Peter chapter 2. He said in verses 1 through 3, But there are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who, brought, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow the depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. <clears throat> In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. And then verse 18 says, For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. Oh, they're sneaky. They're like, come on, guys. In 19, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves to de of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Those who teach anything but what is true only teach them to satisfy their own desires. Whether it comes from pride or greed, these teachers are willing to deceive themselves as well as others. And this passage is very clear in Second Peter that their destruction is coming. <laughs> Don't be deceived. False doctrines, Doug said, false doctrines say that you can serve God and your flesh. And undiscerning, undiscerning people fall for it. Ladies, we have to be discerning. Dissension and disunity come from a lack of sound doctrine. 
Paul wrote this whole letter to teach us what sound doctrine was. We, we just went through two years of Romans. We better be discerning by this time. Sound doctrine is what led, to the, um, what led us to the truth and it keeps us from deception. It, sound doctrine confronts sin and it uh, reveals pride. And sin and pride lead to deception and disunity. Our job is to remain in the truth and not be moved from it. Kevin described last night, he described Jesus as the cornerstone on which everything is built around. And Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. We stand on the truth. We should never budge from it. Uncompromisingly, die on the hill. But we live in a day of lies. And not just lies in political sense or whatever, but we live in a, in a time um, that false doctrine abounds and is celebrated. And of course, we know that prosperity teaching is not great. There are teachers who would, say, uh, who would also say that there are many ways to God and that we have the power to speak things into to existence because the power of God resides in us, that we have deity in us, or that I should do what I want since God wants me to be happy. And increasingly we are seeing now the rise of progressivism and worldly thinking in churches across the nation. And every one of those teachings edifies self and that self and in self-edification Jesus is diminished. <clears throat> Second Timothy four, three through five says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, you be sober in all things, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. As I get older, I don't, I have no patience for lies of any kind of any sort anymore. And I don't know if it's just because I'm older and I just have zero patience for that or if I've been lied to too many times and now I'm super over it. Like, but I, I've never liked lying. Uh, I try to not lie. I'm a bad liar, so I, you know, I don't, I don't think I lie too much. I'm not gonna say I don't lie because that would be a lie. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm not good at it. So I kind of stay away because, you know, it's embarrassing to be caught. But at this point in my life, I hate lying so much that it borders on rage in me. And I feel it in my soul and I feel the damage it does. And I'm like, like, I'm not out of control raging, like I'm not like that, but I have zero tolerance, zero. And there's no justification for lying, I think. I mean, I think that there's things that could be talked about with that, but, <clears throat> but just a bald-faced lie to build your own self up, to get your own way, I can understand what Peter is saying 
in 2 Peter chapter 2. I felt, I felt the feelings of it. It's like, those liars, their destruction is coming. Don't be deceived. It's not asleep. We just got finished with this letter, and Paul outlines the truth of our salvation for us, and we remain in that. Stay there. So what are we to do, though, in this culture that has bald face fabrications and throwing them in our face when a church who calls itself Christian posts signs that say things like, God is she who gave you birth. And then has the audacity to quote Deuteronomy 32.18, which does not say that. I looked it up, <laughs> just to be sure. Like, could they be confused, right? I'm trying to think, were they confused? No, it doesn't even, it's not even close. That does not what it says. <clears throat> it's talking about God, Father of the nation. She who gave you, no. <laughs> Bald face, in your face, absolute lie. And then back it up with scripture. Because those who are not discerning won't look it up. We stay in the truth. We double down on the essentials of doctrine. We ought to become scholars of Jesus and his word. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all quoted Jesus saying, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I once heard marriage advice that said, we should become students of our spouse. And I think that's actually pretty sound advice. I mean, how else could I know? Um, Kevin, how do I know what's important to him? How do I know when to feed him if I'm not paying attention to him? He, he has a reputation. <laughs> he, must be, he must be fed. <laughs> so, but as the bride of Christ, we should be the same. We need to pour all of our attention into knowing our beloved. And Jesus is our beloved. And so I ask you, though, how important is the truth to you in every way? Is there room in any room in you to entertain or justify anything less than the full truth? Do we make excuses for the lies that we run across? Paul said in verse 19, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. And innocent in this um, context was without a mixture of evil, free from guile, innocent, simple. So we're supposed to be so immersed in the truth that there's no deceit found in us. We have to be opposite. And that in that immersion of truth, we will recognize the deception when it creeps in. Because all we know is truth. And if something's not true, we'll recognize it immediately. We are wise if we are Bereans, in, um, as described in Acts 17. And, it, and it, verses 10 and 11 says, the, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. Now, what a reputation. These were more noble-minded than those of Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. We need to be so dedicated to the truth of the gospel that we know it inside and out. And we know um, how to walk in the way of salvation as God intended salvation to be, not how man defines it. 
Okay, now let's move on. Verse 21 of 16 says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. And so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I'm sure I did not pronounce that right. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And Cordus, the brother. Paul extends his greeting from those he's with. So he sent greetings to, now he's saying greetings from. Um, and he said, you know, he's described Timothy previously as a son in another passage. Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater were likely Jews as well. Tertius, he wrote the letter for Paul, presumably because his eyesight was failing so badly, which I have thoughts, but I won't share them here about <laughs> um, Gaius hosted Paul in the church, and Erastus, the city treasurer, had a high position in government. Um, interesting to note about Erastus, because I kept reading this, is uh, there was a plaque found in wherever, um, with the name of Erastus on there and said he was a city treasurer. So this is, he's a high government official. Um, and his existence is, I guess, like confirmed by other outside the Bible. Anyway, and there was Cordus. And all these um, men wanted to send their greetings to, church, to the church in Rome. In this list, there's 35. In this passage, 35 people are mentioned. And no one is more is unimportant to the work of the ministry. Jews and Gentiles, men and women, rich and poor, I'm going to presume slave and free. No one had more value than another. These were ordinary people who happened to have Paul in common. And their names were set here for us to see now. And that's, like, that's the only thing that is notable about them. They just knew Paul. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13 says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all of the members of one body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were baptized into one body. Whether, by, whether Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. I think this is very clearly what this means. All of these men and women working as one to further the gospel of Christ, to make Jesus famous, to spread his salvation, his rescue plan to all the world. Paul has named these men and women as he clearly esteemed them, but Jesus knew them more. And Jesus loved them. Jesus knows our names, and he knows how we impact the kingdom for his namesake. He's called us to it. If Paul loved his co-workers, Jesus loved them more. If we love each other, Jesus loves us more. He knows us. <clears throat> so verse 24, the very last bit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, 
and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience and faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. And Paul brings us back to the one who planned it all. From the foundation of the world, he planned it all. Salvation as a cure to our sin, a rescue from certain eternal death, the addition of the Gentiles into the plan of salvation, just as he promised Abraham, he keeps his word. To him, to our great God and King of King of kings, be glory and majesty and praise and adoration forever and ever with no end. Amen. Let's pray. God, you love us so much and you've planned every small detail of our life out and you have called and you have equipped You've given us each other. Lord, let us make you famous in our lives, whatever that means. As any of those people, those pe- all that list of people did not have the same job. Some hosted house churches, some worked in government. Some were servants, Lord. Some were teachers. Lord, the jobs you give us, the, the work you give us to do is varied and expansive and (laughs) covers all the bases. And Lord, you planned it all. You know us, you see see us. Lord, help us to walk confidently in what you've called us to. Lord, give us the courage of our convictions to stand on what's true. Lord, help us to be brave in the day of deceit. Give us wisdom, help us to be innocent and have no guile in us. But Lord, let us be wise and let us uh, walk with our eyes wide open that we would know what's true and what's not. Lord, let us be daughters that make your name proud or make you proud. Let us work for your reputation to make you great, to make you known. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us from our sin. Thank you, Lord, that you would change our appetite from self to you. Let us be more and more hungry for you always. Help us to love each other well, Lord. Let us go about the work you've called us to. Jesus' name, amen.